mindfulness mode. We have to learn consciously what we're doing. Welcome, Mindful Tribe. I'm excited to talk to an organizer today, and she's the author of the best-selling book called The Art of Organizing, and the subtitle is An Artful Guide to an Organized Life. Now, she has been doing organizing work for quite some time, and uh, she's a member, she's a Golden Circle member of the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals, and she's got so much interesting information in her bio. She's created a six-step organizing system, and that helps people move from feeling, feeling stuck, overwhelmed, or afraid of change to feeling happier and more productive so they can move on with their life. And isn't that how you feel once you organize a room or you get a space to just feel so good, then it just changes how you feel overall. So I'm welcoming Nicole Gabay to the show and thank, thank you. you so much for coming. And are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. And thank you for having me, Bruce. This is very exciting to talk about. And yes, I'm definitely mindful in mindfulness mode right now. Had my meditation this morning, which is always helpful to be grounded. So yeah. Great. And so what does mindfulness mean to you, Nicole? Well, for sure, it means uh, present awareness, being present. And I think of it as um, like intention. So the intention to be aware, present with my thoughts um, and the attention to the present moment and then an attitude of just non-judgmental. So when I go into meditation, I'm bringing those three kind of thoughts with me. Well, I loved reading in your book about how you you just loved the organizing part of your life when you were a child and you loved that that toy where the brass pieces fit into each space so perfectly. And so you still remember that very vividly. Is that right? How you felt when you were a child in kindergarten? Totally. And it was a Montessori school. It was in Paris and I was five and six years old. And I do remember the beautiful, like everything was in order and things were visible and they were at my height level. So it just felt like a space customized just for kids. And I loved that. And I remember that little brass, those little weights, really they're weights and measures. And yeah. I just thought it was the sweetest thing that things fit in perfectly all the way down the block and all the little toys they had for us to me was intriguing and the painting and painting was a big part of our education really in that beginning in those beginning years right and then later you got a degree in textile design so tell me about that and what made you decide to get into fashion the fashion institute of technology it was called Yes, um, that's such a great question. It feels like lifetimes ago, but yeah, that was my start in my education. Although fashion was always in my family, um, on both sides of my family, my mom's side uh, owned department stores in Miami, and they were always they were from New York, so they were going on buying trips, and fashion was a thing in my family. So everyone talked about the latest fashions, and it was just really everyone on my mom's side of the family and my dad um, and my grandfather, they were uh, textile importers from Paris. So that's 
Uh, it's a long story, but my grandfather was French and lived in Paris and had a textile business and eventually made his way to Peru, where he continued importing and exporting textiles. So that was in my background. And um, I just, I'm an artist, so I found a way to basically apply my art to a vocation that I could actually make a living with. So that was kind of the idea, like, you know, there's, you can study fine art, but I didn't see where that would take me. So the FIT, as it's called, um, is a, they have specialized programs where we're really learning and applying our art, but we're learning how to bring it into the workplace. And so then did you, well, I know that I know the answer to this, but I was just going to say, did you start working in the field of organization right away or did you do some other things first? Yeah, I did other things first. I happened to take an elective class at FIT in TV production and that was it. I was hooked. I just loved it. I loved the studio, the camera, the setting, everything about it spoke to me. And when I graduated, so I, for many summers, I did intern at different fashion designers, uh, studios, Adrian Vittadini was big at the time. So I did work in their design studio as a designer. And once I graduated, I really decided I want to pursue the TV aspect. So I got a job at MTV in New York and I worked there for several years. And then I worked at Nickelodeon and in commercial TV production so all the while, I was learning about systems. I was learning about how to organize things in a functional way. But I was in these creative businesses. So you would think, oh, MTV, it was wild and crazy. No, it's all about systems. And same with Nickelodeon or anything related to TV production. And that's where I started learning systems. When I decided to leave the um, production world, I was at a commercial production house at the end and I was always behind the scenes, you know, organizing the production handbooks, organizing the sets and where we got all the products and insurance. And, you know, I was really behind the scenes. And I was also arranging castings at ad agencies. And several times I'd go to the agency, you know, behind the scenes, ready for the casting. And they'd say, oh, are you here for the audition? And I would be like, well, no, I work over there at the table. And it just started happening so much that I was getting asked all the time. And also by the directors, I finally said to my boss, you know what? This has been a secret dream of mine. I've always wanted to be a model and be an actress. And she was very supportive, helped me get an agent, helped me get my pictures done. So I left my job. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess still got to pay the rent. <laughs> now yeah. what am I going to do? <laughs> So while auditioning and studying, um, I thought I don't want to do the restaurant thing because in New York, that's a thing. It's like everyone who says, if you're saying you're an actor, they'll say, oh, what restaurant do you work at? You know, it's part of the deal. So right, yeah. I didn't want that type of night thing because I just was a little older also at that point. I was in my early 30s yeah. and I organized a couple of friends offices and they were like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Like so many people need this and this is this could be a thing and i was like really this is a thing and this was 23 <laughs> years ago yeah. so i started to get the word out and through word of mouth i started to build my organizing business wow so that's, that's how so i got into it it was kind of circuitous but organic you know it just developed from one thing to the next something that i really 
kind of could do in my sleep. You know, it's very intuitive mm. for me. So did you usually work with individual clients at a time, one at a time? Yes. Yes. For most of my career, it's been one-on-one -on -one client work. Um, I've done other organizing seminars and uh, classes at universities at uh, where I live in my town at night school for adult education. So I've definitely taught for bigger groups. But yeah, when I do organizing projects in the home or someone's office, usually it's one on one. And so this is your first book that you've written, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. It took nine years to write it, to put it together and and make it, you know, come alive in the world. But it's, yeah, 23 years of experience and work methods. Yeah. Yeah. It, it must've been so, I mean, I'm thinking it was probably fun to do it. Was it fun to put this book together? Well, I've never written another, uh, any other books. I, it was a lot of work. I didn't realize yeah. how many facets there are to putting out a book. For me, the first step was articulating something in words that I do intuitively. Yeah. That to me was hard. It was like, how do you explain to somebody how you walk? Which right. muscle activates first? Which muscles next? Which toe lands next? Where does that weight distribute? You know, it was so, for me, very challenging because this mm -hmm. is something I do intuitively. Um, but once I had it out, once it came out in order, <laughs> I was so um, happy with that. And so... Then when I illustrated it, to me, yes, that was the most fun part. But putting my method in writing was also very exciting. So there was wonderful moments, many, many wonderful experiences doing this book. And I had a great team of people. Yeah, well, the artwork really makes it come alive. And I'm wondering, did it take you a while to kind of get the tone of the artwork that you wanted so that the reader would really embrace the book or did it just come right away? You just did, did the drawings and they were just there. Well, that's funny. Um, thank you by, by the way. And it's funny you asked that because when I was always working with my clients one-on-one, -on -one, I was drawing them pictures because <laughs> right. I'd say, yeah, here you need a magazine box. And they'd be like, what do you mean? And I'd say, oh, hold on, let me draw that for you. And I would draw this thing and show them, oh, yeah, yeah, now I know what you mean. Or I would say, here you need a couple of shoe shelves. Shoe shelves? Like, what kind of shoe shelf? Oh, okay, hold on, let me draw that for you. And then they'd see, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, gotcha. And I always, I'm very... um in some way, well, I'm very visual, of course, I'm an artist, but my brain, my mind thinks kind of cinematically. I, I think in scenes and I think in, in visual pictures. So for me, reading parts of my book, I would say, ah, this needs that illustration. And I immediately have it in my mind. I, I can definitely visualize what I wanted to portray. So, and I used actually my textile design skills that I learned to make the images come to life. Right. Well, I really recommend your book. It's just so much fun to read, but it's not just that it's fun to read. There's a lot of really, really great con uh, content there that really helps you to understand, oh yeah, this is, this is practical knowledge for what I need to do in my own home. Exactly. And that's important, isn't it? Yes. Oh yeah, I feel like organizing is a form of self-care. And um, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I I wanted, I knew I had the content and the methods, but I wanted it to be 
fun, accessible, not boring or dry. You know, I wanted it to have a, a, a whimsical slant to it so that even kids pick it up and love it. Um, I've seen eight, nine, 10 year olds just love gravitate to the book, 12 year olds. Um, kids naturally want to be organized, but I think it's a skill you need to learn. So if it's not really in the home, sometimes moms don't know or dads aren't aware of how to keep it, you know, maintaining systems, kids really gravitate to that. They, kids all kids see it and are exposed to that from the beginning, from kindergarten. All their classrooms are organized and here's where we take naps and this is where we play and this is where your jacket goes and here's where we sit and draw. So they're already exposed to this. So this, I hope the book would take that to the next level and, and really help people um, understand the maintenance of systems, not just, it's not like a fad diet. I don't think it's not like a yeah. trendy diet. I think it's, it's more of a, a lifestyle. Well, let's, let's talk about your six step organizing system. Yes. So um, basically it's how I approach a space. So if I'm in a room, if I'm in, if I'm organizing the whole house, yes, it's a whole uh space in and of itself, but we break it down. So let's say we approach this one room. The first thing I do is divide it up into sections. And by sections, I mean, what do you plan to do in that space? Say it's your bedroom. And yes, you have your sleeping section, but you might have a chair for reading section. You, and maybe you do crossword puzzles over there, or you, you know, look on your iPad and that's where you hang out. Another section might be um, maybe you have a desk in there and that's where you do your home management. Maybe that's your office. Many people have a home office right in their room. So we start to look at the whole room in sections. So that's first and foremost. Now, the decluttering part, I don't start with it in my six-step process because for me, that's like a given. Because first, of course, we want to get rid of everything that you don't want and you don't need. Now what we're left with is how do we put it into order? So first we divide it into sections. The next thing that I talk about is zones and different people use the term zones in different ways. For me, it's when you're in your section, you look at zones like one, two, and three. Zone one items in that section is the stuff you use every day. You need it at your fingertips. It's um, the most important stuff for everyday use. Zone two in that section might be, you know, under the chair, or it might be on a bookcase, or it might be in the closet. Zone three might be in a, another closet or storage. Maybe it's in the attic or basement. Zone four is same thing, maybe further away. You know you have it, like old tax documents. You know it's on your premises, but you really aren't going to use it unless absolutely necessary. So those things go into zone four. And so zone one and two items, those are really what we keep top of mind when we're in each section. So once you get that concept, I think that helps a lot to prioritize your things. Mm -hmm. Now, not everything has the same level of importance. So oftentimes I'll walk into a space and they'll be like, okay, I'll see, let, I'll say, let's see what's in the drawers and your desk and this and that. And they have taxes for uh, tax return information from 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And those are not zone one items, <laughs> you know, or they'll have, uh, they don't have a scissors or they don't have tape or they don't have uh, 
a pencil or working pens. Those are zone one items. We need mm -hmm. those closest to us. So once we decide the zones, then we talk about storage. So the storage solutions is kind of the most fun part. And it's you have to sort of do it after you do these first two steps. Um, a lot of times I'll go to a client's home and they say, look at all this gorgeous stuff I bought. I went to container store and I bought these great containers. Why can't I get organized? Well, because we don't know what you're putting away yet. So really, that's the fun part that we do at the end of setting up your space. And then I go into in the book, it's information management. It's how do we manage all the information that comes at us on a regular basis and how do we manage it within your, if it's your desk, that I go into papers because that's really the biggest problem area that I see and paperwork does take the longest to organize. So in that section, in that chapter of my book in information management, I talk about really how you create a filing system. How do you develop it and maintain it? And how you have to edit from time to time. And you do need to go in and resort every six months, maybe once a year. And I talk about how it helps for children, how to set them up. So information management is really important, even though people sometimes will say, I'm all digital. I have yet to see somebody that is all digital. Mm. You can be redundant. Maybe you're very digital, but you still print stuff. You know, we still have title to the vehicle. You still have, you know, the deed to the house. There's things that really aren't always digital. So that's mm -hmm. where I, that's what I cover in information management. And then portability is how do we take the information that we've organized on the road, depending on any type of job. It could be moms on the, you know, carpool line. It's for working parents. It's for anybody of any type of business. If you work outside your home, even for a meeting, what and how do you take it with you? And I talk about that. And then to me, the other most important, I guess these are all important, but the end, the end bit is called back to one. And that concept is what I learned from my TV production days. And you're on a set and the set's been created. You've got your actors ready to go, but that set has been intentionally created. So the art director, the producer, the lighting person, the set, the design department, everybody has weighed in on how that set should look. When we start shooting today, the book goes here and this lamp is over there and the chair is like this. So everything is intentionally set. Now you bring in your actors and everyone's doing their thing and anything can happen. There's an airplane noise above, uh, lighting, something hit the lighting you know, boom, and now it's in the shot. So the director will yell, cut. Okay, everybody, step out of the set. We'll rearrange. We're going to, we have to take care of this thing or the other thing. Okay, everybody, back to one. And that means everything on that set has to be placed exactly as it was to begin with. And that's called back to one. So that's what I recommend in any room, in your house. Establish what your one is. That's your baseline. So Yes, you're going to go in your room, in your office, in your kitchen. You're going to live, right? Stuff gets everywhere. Use all your stuff. And then you know what back to one is, which means you took that time in the beginning to establish where everything will go. So that's very important. And I, I recommend doing that at least, if not every day for 15 minutes, then you're going to have to do it a couple hours on the weekend. But definitely you want to be back to one by Monday morning. 
Right, right. Well, this is all very interesting and so practical, but you haven't uh, mentioned this topic of sentimentality. So what happens if your client says to you, yeah, but well, I have this chair and I actually never sit in it, but it belonged to my mother and, and I just can't part with it. Then what do you say? Well, that's true. I get that all the time. And I've learned never to make assumptions on things. Um, one time a client had this broken doll. It was like in pieces parts and it was in the back seat of her vehicle on the floor. And I thought, oh, okay. Oh, look, I think we should, you know, are we giving this away too in that box? She's like, no, that was my mother's. Oh my gosh. That's so important to me. And I'm thinking it's broken. It has five different pieces. I don't say a word. I say, oh, absolutely. Let's put it in a special box. Another time I was doing a uh, clean, organizing really a whole entire living room, which had numerous sections. There was the reading section, the watching TV, the bookcases, and there were sentimental things there. And there was one large vase of very old and dusty rose petals. They were so discolored and covered in dust. I thought, oh, for sure, here's one thing we can throw this away. She was like, oh my gosh, that was my bouquet from my wedding. 30 right. years ago, I will never throw it out. I was like, oh, goodness, yes. So, you know, with sentimental items, first, it's a matter of quantity. How many, how much, you know, a couple things here and there. That's fine. You know, we we live, our homes are a, an expression of ourselves, our lives, our history. So, yes, we want to be surrounded by those items as well. However, I do say it's a matter of quantity. And in many cases, you can take a picture of it and then be okay parting with it. Um, and then there is how do we organize that, those sentimental more things that are flats, I call them flats. So you have a beautiful box. They have these beautiful fabric colored boxes, let's say it's horizontal, it opens top up and you can put all your cards, your letters, your uh, just photos that you, maybe, maybe you're not gonna put them up, but you love to have those photos and any small, you know, memorabilia that goes in there. I call them memorabilia boxes. So yeah, for really sentimental things, I totally appreciate that. So we evaluate those things for sure. So have you had to deal with hoarders from time to time? I'm sure the answer is yes, but if you do, how do you deal with that? Well, that is interesting because it is an extreme version of being disorganized. Yeah, And honestly, I don't work with hoarders. There are okay. professional organizers that specialize in hoarding and it is, they have to go through a training process. There's certification for that. And it's, you know, it is a, a form of mental illness. I mean, there is really, you know, a lot underlying in that scenario. So I, I don't work with people at that level. Um, right. Yeah. It's cause it's much more intense and, there's a lot of psychology happening there too. So what do you find is different about your system of organizing compared to some of the others that are out there? Well, you know, there's some out there that are wonderful because they're catchy, you mm -hmm. know, and I don't need to mention them by name, but let's sure. say you're organizing by color. Well, yeah. in my opinion, if I put all my red things in one section, well, that might be a shampoo and it might be a detergent and it might be, um, something I use to wash my dog, you know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't to me. make sense. No. <laughs> right. And I'm all about putting things away for retrieval, 
not so yeah. that they hide in the closet forever. That's not the point. And, yeah. you know, and then there's other forms of organizing out there that says declutter, declutter, declutter. Yes, that's so important. I agree. But my process is like, what do you do after you declutter? What is the system? How do you create your own system? And that's really what I tried to convey. And, you know, it can be a little intense, but that's why I wanted it colorful and fun so that mm -hmm. you could visualize along with me um, that part of organizing, which for me is really fun. <laughs> and I've had clients tell me, wow, you make this fun. And I'm like, cool, because I don't want it to be drudgery. It shouldn't right. be that thing that you're like, oh, I can't do this today. No, yeah. I think it, it needs to have its element of whimsy, even in your own space. So have you ever run into people that did not feel better once everything was organized, the room was all sorted out and organized, but they just were not, that was not in their comfort zone? That's a really good question. So um, in order to avoid that, because I want my clients to be happy, you know, I want them to feel like they made a really good investment. I do have a survey of questions that I ask beforehand. Um, first, I have a few basics that I send in an email. And then once I get to their space, I have more questions. And those questions help me evaluate where that person is in their process of being ready. So I can quickly see, oh, yeah, my mom's making me do this. So, okay, what are we doing? Then I know, okay, that person isn't ready. And that's not going to be a good experience for either of us, really. Or my wife said I have to do this. Well, that's not going to be good. Or listen, can I hire you? Because you know what? My husband's a disaster. And I'll be like, okay, no, we all need to be on the same page. And that person who's doing it needs to be ready. So I do ask those questions um, beforehand. And, and I can tell if they're like, yeah, we're moving next week. So I want to get organized now. And I'll be like, well, it's going to be a two-part process. You know what I mean? Like I help them break it down. So like you said, so it is practical and you know, I'm helping them move through whatever process they're in, in a logical manner, not just impulsively. Yeah. So I Nicole. Did, oh, sorry. I was going to add one thing. Yeah, sorry. go ahead. Um, I did have one client who was telling me she was so angry trying to do this. It made her so angry. So we had to pause and wait until, you know, there was more ease and flow and, and it really, um, would be productive for her as well as myself. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say when it comes to organizing offices and workspaces like that, I'm mm -hmm. sure there are a lot of people that find they can be way more productive and make more money and be more successful in their business once they are more organized. Is that right? Oh, a hundred percent. Totally. That's the, that is exactly the, the whole point of it really. Um, even artists, I'm an artist. I can't be in my space unless it's organized because I need space in my mind. I need, I need to be decluttered around me so that my mind can be more creative, more productive. Like you said, everyone's creative in some way. If you're a, a data analyst or an accountant, a lawyer, or, you know, you are a designer, we all create different systems for ourselves and once you have your space in order, it frees your mind to be more creative, more productive, absolutely, in every way. 
Right. This book, The Art of Organizing, is really, really fantastic. If you were to write another book now, what would that book be about? What would what would you include that you could not include in this book? Wow, that's a great question because I wanted to include so much more. And then it was like, well, now it's starting to look like a second book. Oh, all right. right. Um, definitely move management. That was also one of my favorite things to do. And you know, I've got it down to a science from step one all the way to the very end in your new space and how to make it seamless and stress-free and things you don't associate with moving. <laughs> right. um, but I I would love to follow up with another book about moving. Um, I think that was the main thing that didn't get included that I would have, there's a little bits about it, but um, that's something I would have loved to gone into further. I think that pretty much would be the next volume. Yeah, well, moving is a huge challenge for a lot of people, and yet we do it quite a bit, don't yeah, we? we do. Oh, yeah, there's statistics of how many times the average person in America will move. It's like seven times at least in their lifetime. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so besides organizing people and organizing your own life, what else do you do for fun in your life? Oh, that's so nice to ask. I love that because I'm an artist. So I'm constantly kind of moving into new areas. I've done watercolor. I've done acrylics. Uh, I got into oils for many, many years, oil painting. Where I live, it's really beautiful. So I love painting uh, landscapes. And now I've moved into mixed media. So I'm constantly gathering ideas and ways to apply that to my paintings. Um, another thing I love to do, I make jewelry. Um, I use mostly semi-precious stones when I make bracelets and bracelets and bracelets. <laughs> I just yeah. love creating that. Yeah. Because it uses my sense of color, my sense of, you know, a flair that I like to have. I enjoy putting that in the bracelets, um, and organizing. It's, it is my fun. It's my happy place. <laughs> I can I sure actually, tell that. Yeah. I just organized my art studio, believe it or not. And um, for many reasons, it got into disarray so that I couldn't come down and be creative. I was like, okay, let me put this in the beautiful order that I like. And now I can come down here and create. Right. Well, your website is b hyphen organized so the letter b b hyphen organized ed on the end dot net yes. so mindful tribe you can check that out and what will we expect to find when we go to your website nicole so the website has many facets you know um i do so many different types of services so that's outlined on my website i also do fashion edits for people i help them edit their whole closet and wardrobe um, because I know enough and a lot about garments and construction, I also help people decide what to keep, what to toss. So I go into that. Um, I can look at silhouettes of garments and say, okay, that's never coming back. Or, hey, if you just shortened it a little bit, you know, it's totally modernized and usable. Um, so obviously the move management and I talk about all the other services, but I'm also a writer, of course, and I've written many, many articles and um, those are on my website as well. I also do virtual organizing. And um, I started that many years ago before COVID, but um, especially now since COVID, it's so much easier. And um, I love working with people virtual that, that 
It helps people. I can reach people, obviously, in much further away places. And usually they're a little more high functioning. So it's, you know, there's, it's appropriate for certain people. Um, but I go into a little description of that. And, um, and then I also, you know, so it has basically everything that I work on in my business is all on the website. And then you can buy my book. So mm-hmm. you can buy it directly. Actually, you'll see links. It's this book is available anywhere where retail books are sold. So you could do Amazon, but you could do Barnes and Noble or your local bookstore. Mm-hmm. And tell me about some of the feedback you've received from your book. Uh, well, mostly I'm hearing that they really like it because it's whimsical and light. But once they start reading, they're like, oh, wow, I had to read that chapter again because I needed to understand that. And um, I've heard that it's very easy to do. It's approachable um, and manageable. I've heard that it simplifies people's uh, approach to things. Really, a lot of people are taking to the zones principle. Mm-hmm. And that is a way of prioritizing our stuff. And that is just a just a slight mindset shift. And it's helping a lot of people. So, you know, I think there are many nuggets in there that um, I'm hearing that people are really enjoying. Yeah, definitely. As we move forward, I want to ask you a question about bullying, because this is an area that I've worked in for quite some time. And I'm just wondering if you have a story you can share with us where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference. Yes. And I appreciate the work you've been doing. I read about that um, on your website. And, you know, first of all, it's a horrible experience for anyone who's been through it. And I am currently in a situation um, that I've been dealing with a lot of bullying. And in the beginning, this has carried on for a while. And in the beginning, it was painful because I took it personally and thought, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? And it it definitely has shifted for me with my meditations because I'm learning in meditation that my thoughts do not define me. My feelings do not define me. Those are all passing things. And my being stays intact no matter what. And that's where the non-judgment comes in. That's where the self-acceptance comes in. And then the bullying doesn't hurt so much anymore. It's not pleasant, but you know what? I have a distance from it now. I can put distance between myself and that person. And what I've learned is the bullying that's happening is really about that person. It's how they feel about themselves. It's how they talk to themselves. That's really what it is. It's not about me. And that is through meditation, I've been able to learn that with experiencing, you know, when I'm in meditation, now I can bring it to my life and say, wow, that person really has a hard time because look at what they're saying and doing. That is their thing. Right. Wow. Thanks for sharing that story with us, Nicole. I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful inspiration for you in this area of mindfulness? Oh, definitely Pema Chodron. I hope I'm saying her name right, but oh my God, she's incredible. I love all her books, her writings, her podcasts. She's just amazing. 
Yeah, totally. And my next question is about emotions. How have you learned to deal with your emotions differently as a result of your mindfulness practice? Well, I've learned that thoughts create a feeling. So if I'm feeling this way, anxious, angry, sad, whichever, look at my thoughts. Like, what am I thinking about? What's making my feelings this? And then I have an, I am in charge. I can change the thought. And then I change my feeling. And that changes the emotion around it. So that is all from meditation that I've learned this. Yeah, that's very concise. Let's talk about breathing. Any mm -hmm. thoughts that you can share with us? Yes. So um, this is sort of related, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, I know that breathing was important. I've always known breathing is important, but I had a brain tumor um, six years ago and I needed to go in for surgery and it just shattered my world. It was incredibly scary. And I had a friend who was studying mindfulness and she said she'd come over three times a week for a couple of months before the surgery. And she was going to help me with breathing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how are we going to do that many hours about breathing? Like you breathe, yeah. you go in, you go out. What, what? She's like, no, you're going to see. So she taught me a lot about breathing. And one of the exercises was called sweet 16. Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. Oh, I really loved it. And I do use it whenever I'm getting anxious. I just, take that pause. So basically it's, you take a deep breath in and a deep breath out, and then you hold your breath for four seconds or it's a count of four for four beats. Then you inhale for four beats, hold it for four beats. And then you let the air out for four beats and hold it for four. So you hold for four, inhale for four, hold it for four, exhale for four, and you start again. And that was incredibly important. And I love for me because I'm, even though I'm an artist, I do enjoy structure. So that gave it a little structure for me. And um, that plus doing other exercises that were art related, preparing for surgery that helped tremendously. So yeah, the breathing is what gives me the focus when I'm meditating. So that when I do have a fleeting thought, I can be like, oh, look, there was a thought. Or if I have a feeling that comes up, oh, look at that feeling. Okay, let's keep breathing. That's where the non-judgment comes in too. Right, for sure. My next question is about a book. And you've mentioned a couple of books. Of course, your book is fantastic. Any other books that you would recommend? Thank you. Um, well, definitely in the Pema Chodron collection, she has so many wonderful books. But the one that made the most impact on me is called When Things Fall Apart. Mm -hmm. That one is amazing. Are you familiar with that one? Yes, I am. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love that book. And for creatives out there, um, I could not, um, I couldn't ignore and I have to appreciate tremendously the work by um uh, Julia Cameron, and that's mm -hmm. The Artist's Way. Yes. Are you familiar with that one? Yes, I am, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That also was a game changer for me. And writing the morning pages, and I've been to her workshops, and she's also incredible, and that book is just one of a kind. 
Yeah, fantastic, fantastic book. Any yeah. apps that you can share with us? Yes, actually, I love Insight Timer. Mm-hmm. And um, there's so many great, I do guided meditation sometimes, sometimes not, but there's a lot of great um, guided meditations there. There's good music. I mean, there's so much to choose from. Yeah, that's a fantastic app. Yeah. I agree completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, before we wrap up our interview, do you have any final words of advice for our Mindful Tribe listeners? Hmm. I would say the advice I take for myself, and that is start my day with 10 minutes, even 10 minutes helps of a meditation, whether it's guided or not. And I sometimes vary it up and I'll write my three pages of morning pages when I'm not doing a meditation because I feel that's also a form of meditating. Um, so that's essential and, and breathing, you know, it's, it is something we learn. We have to learn consciously what we're doing. We do it without thinking, but once we start thinking about it, it, it is, it's our lifeline. So that is an exploration that's well worth it. Yeah. Wow. Nicole, you shared so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being on mindfulness mode. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for listening to the show. And I'd love if you had a chance to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy listening to the show, it really can help the show. If you go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and that just gives us even more ability to continue to record and continue to produce this podcast. And so with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.